So I'll uh, share a few things for about a half an hour, and then we'll break into small groups for the last 25 minutes or so. Before I begin, though, any comments or questions about the meditation instructions tonight and last week? Yeah, Doug. It's an object. But it's not a... It's an object that thought, the thought of peace can help illuminate maybe, but the experience is here and now. So it's not about find, it's not about, it's about recognizing it more than it is about doing something to find it. And remember, it's the natural flavor of the mind that's uncomplicated. So if it's not being found, it may be that the mind has to take some steps back or the practice has to take some step back and really go back to the first stage, which is just reflecting on distraction and non-distraction. And anything goes, basically, because, you know, non-distracted awareness, mindfulness, can just see or know whatever it is in the body-mind that's happening but it's not, it's not retreating from present moment awareness. That's its resolve. And that uncomplicates the mind. Even though, in a funny way, just being with the flow of mind-body activity can be uh, disturbing or wild or like a spewing of, mental and physical phenomena coming and coming and going and going. But the the powerful renunciation there is not compelled to do anything about the flow of experience. So we're taking refuge in mindful awareness of the flow of experience, not in managing it, not in doing anything with it. So that's a huge step in the direction of simplification. And then, you know, we, we get some stability there. And then we notice that all that cognitive activity. We're still, even though we're still aware, the mind is feeling, you know, neurotically feeling like it has to talk to itself about being mindfully aware or about whether I'm doing it right. Or So we're, the next step is to recognize, well, maybe I don't, maybe that thinking isn't helping or not necessary or it would be at least interesting to see what happens, see whether it is necessary by putting it down and putting it down and putting it down. In a really kind way, we're just reminding the mind that actually I don't need to think about anything right now. I don't need that part of the mind that's thinking. So again, it's not so much immediately stopping thinking in any sort of harsh or direct way, as much as it is that when thinking does happen, that kind, wise voice, again, it's thinking, says, is this necessary? Just asking that question. And then that's a powerful simplification. So not only are we not reacting to what's happening, what's arising in the present moment, we're not even reacting on the level of feeling compelled to think about what's arising. So it's already quite quiet. That's a huge step. If we can just sustain that for a period of time, 
that's pretty dramatic. And then, but even on that level, this part of the processing mind is still feeling like it has to process the diversity of experience. That's a sound, that's a sensation, that's an unpleasant sensation, that's an interesting thought. You know, so it's still processing all the diverse <coughs> objects of experiences, experience that's coming and going. So the next stage would be just to ask, well, is there some aspect that isn't excluding but has a sense of unity. Like Ajahn Sumedho calls this the one point that includes everything. So this is the interesting thing. With an inner experience of peace or light, whether it's light as in uh, photons or light like not heavy or space or silence. So it will be different. But you'll find as the mind gets more simple, you'll find that the mind uh, is seen or realized uh, has kind of a, a wholeness quality to it. And the particular texture of that wholeness will be different for different people. But it will be a suitable place to rest the awareness. And you'll see as your mind, as the awareness rests there, knows that, it's not excluding everything. So it's not like being afraid of the diversity of the different experiences that are coming and going. But it's in being wholly, fully present here, it's not excluding everything. But this way of knowing the moment is all-inclusive. It has that whole quality to it. So for some people, it's actually more of a vibration, like a, a unitary vibration. So, or even a sound for some people. So it just depends on what your vehicle is to that more quiet state of mind. And again, the point I wanted to make with this guided meditation that we did last week and tonight is to remember we're studying samadhi and it's so easy for us to idealize the idea of where we're going. So we create this picture in our mind of what my mind or body-mind would be like if I had good concentration. And then we try to attain that. And so it might be more useful to think of the whole process as a simplification. And when the mind is really complicated, then it's like this. And as it gets sim more simple, and then we start getting attuned to that whole simplification process where we can sort of know where we are. And appreciate where we are, you know, whether really complicated mind in this moment or really settled, simple, peaceful mind in this moment. And we're not so neurotic about that because we understand that this movement is natural. Like, and the wiser the mind is, the more it understands how to support the settling, quieting, simplifying process. And we find more and more that the mind is quite nimble, like it can, it can sort of re-enter the complicated world and aware of diversity and involved in cognitive activity and, you know, even getting lost in thought or lost in activity, losing mindfulness at times. But then 
not assuming that it's miles away, years away from settling down. It's almost like it, the mind doesn't forget stillness or peace because it was only an idea that that was somewhere else. You know, that's somewhere else when I'm on a long retreat or that's somewhere else when my mind behaves itself and does what it's supposed to do. You know, it stops thinking or something like that. Yeah, Ian. Mm -hmm. So Ian was asking about the relationship between mindfulness and equanimity. And uh, the deeper states of concentration or absorption are characterized by equanimity. That's the strongest characteristic. And so it, that peace is the peace of equanimity as the mind settles more and more. And their equanimity arises in two ways. It arises when the knowing mind retreats from knowing things that agitate or disturb it. So it's retreating. So as we did tonight, this process of simplification, the mind which is normally very externally oriented and trying, you know, trying to manipulate its experience in order to have what it wants, which is stressful, that need to manipulate is stressful. So one way to um, realize equanimity is to retreat the mind, the knowing mind, the mind that attends to experience is retreating from what's agitating. And because of that seclusion, it experiences uh, equanimity. So it's an equanimity of exclusion, not an equanimity based on wisdom. But it, it's equanimity nonetheless. So the flavor of that peace is, it's like a taste of liberation because the mind is not disturbed. It's in the world, a world at least, a very quiet, peaceful world. And, but it's realizing its nature when it's not disturbed. So the mind is realizing what the mind is like when it's not disturbed. And it has uh, a lot of appreciation and gratitude. There's just quite naturally, um, maybe coming out of that deeper concentration, a lot of gratitude for, in a sense, how beautiful the mind is. It doesn't feel necessarily personal, but it's still quite beautiful. And so that appreciation or gratitude is there after a good set. <laughs> But there's another kind of equanimity that happens when the mind is in a more ordinary state of consciousness, not in a very refined quiet necessarily, but there's a lot of wisdom. So here we are, there's still you know, a lot of cognitive activity, a lot of different objects are being known, but the mind isn't confused by what's being known. It understands it's just nature. You know, it's just causes and conditions being known, just Empty phenomena rolling on, as one teacher said. And so because the mind isn't confused by the phenomena that are being known, equanimity arises as well. Now that equanimity isn't dependent on a refined state of consciousness. Is not, right? Because the wisdom, it's that non-stickiness which allows for the equanimity. The mind isn't reacting, isn't having a problem with phenomena that are being known, but that's because of wisdom. 
So it's much more resilient. If we're in a deep state of concentration and and the mind is experiencing a lot of peace and quiet, well, that lasts as long as it lasts until the conditions that allowed for that quieting of the mind go away. And then we're back to a more ordinary state of consciousness. Yeah, Bob. It's, I, 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 um, when I'm trying to understand concepts like this, I get real literal and draw Venn diagrams and things, but it doesn't, you're not asserting that it works that way in, in real life. Yes? No? In other words, I mean, I can have some equanimity that's related to wisdom and some that's related to being in a, in a state of concentration. It's not always clear which one. Exactly. Yeah, and we tease out wisdom from samadhi, but they really work so closely together, right? Like just to get quiet, just to do what we did tonight with whatever, um, however much the mind settled down in that half an hour process, we were using wisdom all the way, vipassana or insight, right? Because that very gentle coaxing of the mind, like, do you need to think this now? Do you need to think? That's wisdom. Wisdom is observing the arising of thinking, the thinking process, and the, what wisdom is revealing is like, does it need to happen now? It's okay not to do this now. It's okay to put this down. So wisdom is operating, you know, so it's really more a matter of emphasis and daily life. You know, samadhi is still really important, but we're probably more dependent on wisdom. And when we're on retreat or doing a sit or have a more quiet time, then we can uh, really emphasize the samadhi, the, the settling down. Because then, with whatever wisdom we have, it gets amplified by the samadhi. So if you only have a little bit of wisdom, like, like a little bit of insight about how all phenomena is just nature, but you have the profound sensitivity because your mind is really quiet. But that little wisdom goes a long way. But if you have, you know, um, a little wisdom and very little samadhi, it's not going to really make much difference that, you know, you've contemplated, you have some confidence or some intuition that things that come and go aren't self. But if you're being pushed around by the objects of your experience, the mind is sticky with them, that little bit of wisdom isn't really going to clarify your experience very much. That's why they, this dynamic between samadhi and vipassana, samatha and vipassana, it's like a honed and heavy axe. So the honed, the sharpness of the axe is the wisdom and the umph, the weight of the axe is samadhi. So when the mind is really settled, not it's retreated enough that it it doesn't feel pushed around, it feels content to be, isn't grasping onto the different experiences that are arising because it's looking for happiness because it already feels happy. See, this is the great advantage of samadhi is that there's an inner happiness arising because the mind is retreated and because it's happy, it's not neurotic, not neurotically trying to be happy because it is happy. So that mind is pretty settled. And, it, and then with whatever wisdom is present, 
there needs to be there still needs to be wisdom present like wisdom wants to understand the way things are and as it has insight wisdom wants to see if it's true that things are just nature they're impermanent impersonal whenever there's identification it hurts just wants to confirm that that intuition or that insight that it's already have had in its and its uh, practice yeah, Simone. Say that last sentence again about the object of mind being... Is what, what did you say right before that? What? Yeah, it's more... I mean, it's good to hear about the map of the kind of quiet states of absorption. But you, don't want, you want to hold it lightly because the exploration is very personal. And, uh, and you want to sort of have a really, uh, like I, I think I mentioned in the guide, it's a, a sense of exploration and a real spacious exploration and one with a lot of appreciation for the beauty of the mind and, the, and gratitude for the time that you have the time and the supports that allow that because not everybody does. And, it, and it's really, it's transforming because, I mean, just on a therapeutic level, We've all, because of our life experiences, we all have programmed in a lot of negative ideas about ourselves, you know, because of our lack of success or what's been reflected back at us from other people. But when we experience states of calm and contentedness and peace and emptiness, you know, like the void, and... uh, and learn to abide there and learn to trust and appreciate the naturalness. Like it's, it's not really in any way a construction. It isn't something the ego has constructed because we see so clearly that they arise, uh, they arise mostly best when that part of the mind who wants to attain something is also very quiet, has been put, put down. So, so we want to approach it as this, uh, this is a, a very natural thing. These maps or these places of the heart or mind, it's a very natural thing that very few people have the inclination or the good fortune, good supporting conditions to explore. And then the intention in the mind is the general intention is that because it's natural, because I don't have to personally create anything, the, the biggest intention is to let the heart or mind reveal itself. Let the beauty, the goodness of the mind reveal itself. And then the, the more specific intention is really about, it's all about letting go. It's all about putting things down or renouncing. So the beauty is the mind in its most simple, natural, ordinary state. Not something I'm going to build up. Not, not a mountain I'm going to get to the top of. Now, people can get themselves in exalted states through that willful effort. But they're not going to be, it's not going to be a stable state. And it will have a tendency, because the motivation had greed or aversion in it, it tends to undermine the sort of full development of samadhi practice. 
So it's really important right from the beginning that we cultivate really uh, skillful motivation, wholesome motivation coming out of appreciation and love and interest, like a, a more pure kind of interest, heal, the intention to heal. Because in a way we're healing what the mental affl- uh, affliction of worry and you know, planning mind and comparing mind. And then the more you have experience, then the intentions will get more refined. Like you mentioned uh, the sort of really balanced state. And I think earlier in your comment, Simone, you talked about, I don't know if you used the word solid or held or do you remember what, what word you used? But there's also a, there are these different qualities that just show up. And we'll talk about the, this in the next couple of weeks. I'll review the five jhanic factors which are just talking about the different qualities that just naturally show up when the mind becomes more simple. And so knowing those five qualities really helps because then you're kind of just, oh yeah, that's just that quality. Everybody who does this work knows these different qualities of mind, you know, knows the quality of pity, you know, rapture, and what that feels, that kind of movement of energy, knows the quality of sukha, the sort of ease or happiness that arises, knows the quality of ekakata, the one-pointedness or the stillness of mind. And it really matters, like in the beginning, the mind will look at these different qualities, and because it's really quiet, when it looks at a particular quality, that quality will look really big, because the mind is doing this exclusive attention to it. So it's like the whole world in a sense. And so the contentedness may look huge, like the whole universe is contented right now, or equanimous right now or you know rapturous right now so but we, we kind of get to know the different qualities that support and if we just keep remembering the intention both towards simplicity but also peace it's really a refinement of happiness but now we're realizing that there's a happiness that comes from letting go as opposed to a happiness that comes from attainment. I've attained a comfortable sitting posture. There's a certain happiness in that. Or the sit's over and I can move. There's a certain happiness in that. But there's a much more stable and transforming happiness that comes when the mind becomes really simple. And initially it does that. It has to do that by retreating from what's making it complicated. When it's in the presence, being affected by what's stimulates complications, then it can't settle. But when we can find a way to retreat from that, both physically by just going someplace. One of the reasons Common Ground bought the retreat property is that for not everybody, but for a lot of people, being out in the country in a more natural environment for a period of time is really settling for the mind. You don't have to do anything. You just don't do what you normally do. Just hang out there and uh, you'll find that after a few days you're a different human being. Your mind is different than what it was when you're doing whatever else you do. Yeah, but, but letting go, you know, the kind of effort we need really depends on how gross the mind is. When the mind is really gross, the effort needs to be really gross. When the mind is pretty refined, the effort has to be pretty refined. So we really want to be willing to play along that whole spectrum and 
be that tough parent when that's what the mind needs and be that very, very quiet voice or just trust when that's what the mind needs. And then the other thing, I think related to your last comment, but to, to your earlier comments, there is a whole map and it does get clear once the mind quiets down. And it's not clear to me whether how useful it is to know the map or to hear the map conceptually ahead of time or to sort of hear about the map once the mind is in the vicinity of those quieter states. Because there's a very strong tendency to want to attain things and then it gets in the way. So I think just appreciating the simplification process and how pleasant that is in an inner sense that peace of simplifying the quietness, the peacefulness, the stillness, the contentedness, it has its own draw. It draws the mind in. Just like if we heard that, you know, Monte has a lot of candy at his house, we'd be drawn in, you know, what kind of candy, you know? We'd all want to go there or something like that. It's the same thing when we find that there's something really beautiful and nice, we don't need to tell ourselves to go there the mind is naturally and appropriately interested in it. So that's what we want to find. I think I've mentioned to people, you know, a very distinct time, and this is really early in my practice, maybe the first year and a half. And I was living in Berkeley at the time, and my best friend from college, we uh, kind of went our separate ways for a year. We lived together after college in Washington, D.C., and then he went to Europe to study and I did some other things. And then we both ended up uh, in school in Berkeley. And uh, and so we were both into meditation. Both kind of discovered it really gung-ho. And I remember we'd sit every morning. And then before we'd eat at night, we'd sit. And uh, I remember just one night, everything just settled. My mind got quiet. Not in some profound, you know, amazing state of concentration. It was just peaceful. And... I just remember being so like amazed or even shocked that because I had read a lot by that point. So I, I knew, you know, people talked about the mind getting quiet, the mind being peaceful. But to directly see that it actually gets really peaceful and it's really pleasant when the mind gets peaceful. It, and it just changes our whole relationship to this process. And this is especially important. Now, some people will have more of a natural talent for these quiet states than other people. And in the tradition, if you don't have a talent, you're considered to be more of a dry practitioner where you're relying more on wisdom. There's less pleasantness in the practice, but the unpleasantness of your life keeps you going forward. (laughs) And for the other folks who have more of a talent, they get initially drawn in more by the pleasantness. Like the ego really likes it. Like this really feels good. It's so much better than other sense pleasures. Why not pursue that? Both paths work perfectly fine. And we don't really have much to say about the kind of meditation personality that we have. So don't, if you're one of the people that don't easily or often experience inner you know, meditation experiences that are pleasant. The question, the more important question is, is your life working better 
is there less stress in certain situations than there would be in the past, you know, five years ago or two years ago? Is the mind more creative and nimble and skillful in challenging situations? Is it more ready to let go after when the mind is being unskillful? Is it more easily, more ready to let go more quickly than it had been in the past? Maybe time for one more comment, Danielle, before we break up into small groups. Yeah. So the process is really intuitive, but it really, that, that intuitive process really benefits, or at least for some people, with study, from study. So study is just study. And, and for those who are inclined, drawn to it, and some people get a lot of faith, a lot of confidence in the practice from the study. But to some, we all need some information, but how much is sort of depends. So you want to look like, are you digging, uh, spending time in that area of acquiring information because like as an avoidance technique or trying to think your way through the practice? But if you're finding that you're getting energy from it, then when you do the practice, so let go of the information doesn't mean you're not going to use it. You absolutely need to use the information, but you want it to arise intuitively. So, like, if you're, uh, if that, there you are, sitting, and the experience of loneliness, if you didn't hear Danielle, she said some loneliness came up, then maybe you don't even need to prompt. You can just see what information arises. And if no information is arising, you can prompt it by saying, uh, you know, what would the Buddha do? Or what would the Buddha say? Or um, what is this? Not, not intellectually what is this? Because, you know, to the degree that we've integrated the information, the Buddha's teachings, then that means it's connected with experience, like the actual experience, that the map has been, because we're not just reading it, we're thinking about it, we're digesting it, like, I read something about the seven factors and then I remember, oh yeah, I either use my experience right in that moment or I remember some experience and I apply that conceptual map to that remembering of that experience and we're basically building bridges between the concepts and experience. But then when we're practicing, we're not building the bridges then. After the sit, before the sit, but during the sit, the information that arises is the information that's used. And if no information arises, even with a little prompting, then we just work with the confusion. You know, oh, well, this is what it's like to be confused. Or this is what it's like to be greedy, wanting the practice to take care of this, expecting and being disappointed because the practice isn't. So that's what it's like now. And then afterward, you know, then you could do some work. Okay, there was this experience. I seemed, it seemed to throw me for a loop. Let me pull out some of these models and see how it might illuminate that experience. So that's what we can call contemplation. Now later in practice, the mind can be much more nimble about actually doing little bouts of contemplation right there in the formal sit. But initially we want to be a little careful about allowing the mind to think because it's going to want to do that anyway, way too much. And so it's better to really get a sense of what mindful awareness is not dependent on cognitive activity. But later, 
it's really okay to have a few moments of contemplating, using thought, regurgitating the information, bringing it to bear on the experience in the moment. We really want the practice to be seamless in that way that really seeing it as a, its own process that you're not directing. So the information is already at play and the motivation is already at play and past experience is already at play. And it's all just chugging along, the practices. And the difference, you know, like, gosh, I did metta for these six months intensively and I did this kind of practice and I've done jhana practice and and so I could be completely confused about what to do at a particular set or I could just see what the mind does. Because it's the same thing about driving home. You know, you could neurotically try to make every decision driving home or you could just observe, be mindfully aware of the mind, the conditioned mind doing it. And the same thing with difficult interactions that we have to be in sometimes. We could sort of demand that we know what we're going to do, rehearse it, and then do it. Or we could ground ourselves in the deepest understanding that we have and then see what happens. Let things unfold. Let wisdom do what it can do. And then when mistakes happen, learn from them. Be willing to sort of Learn what we can. So we need to leave it here. So I mentioned last week that in the small groups, a couple of things you might want to share, and you can begin just to reflect on these as I share a few ideas that might seem relevant to you. Of course, anything related to samadhi practice is appropriate to bring up in the small groups. But I mentioned like if you brought to mind moments in your life where you felt really skillful and the mind was seemed really clear and uh, relaxed and connected, and then as you brought those or bring that moment, those moments to mind, what of that was mindfulness? Like of that skill that you can recall, what was the effect or how did mindfulness support the skill that you noticed in your mind at different moments? You could also share the opposite when you think about times today or recently or a long time ago when you were really unskillful, then This is a great thing about memory and imagination. Imagine or remember how that mind was. That mind had certain qualities. So what was suppressing or what was in the way of mindfulness in those difficult, unskillful moments? You could also just talk about the relationship of mindfulness and renunciation or, as Ian mentioned, mindfulness and equanimity or mindfulness and wisdom. What's the difference? Just to kind of clarify that by talking out loud with your friends you're with, like, what is the difference between, what is mindfulness and what is concentration or stillness? What is equanimity? What is vipassana or clearly seeing things as they are? So just to clarify these different aspects of the practice. That would be kind of interesting. And not to be afraid to be confused about it. Because these concepts are overlays on a natural process. They're not, you know, there isn't really a thing called equanimity. I mean, in a sense there is. We have this label. But there is a process that, or a a tendency, a quality that we call equanimity.
but it's different than the word. So you can just, like, what is that word? What are these words pointing to in terms of my experience? How can I describe them? So those are some thoughts that you might want to take up in your small groups. One last thing is just to share about some of the techniques you've worked with and how that technique supports mindfulness. Right? Because that's the purpose of the technique is to be a container that makes it easier to sustain mindful awareness.